There we go. There we go. I don't use a mic at the mission. Nobody has ever said if you could just speak a little louder, <laughs> your message would come through clearer. But I, I, but I can't, I have no musical talent, so it's, uh, uh, it, you know, it says in the Bible, it says that David made a joyful noise to the Lord. For me, it's joyful, but it's noise. It's not good. It's not good. But I enjoyed it, and I was able to sing because I was close enough to the speakers that nobody near me would hear me. So I was really, I, I thought it was great. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's always a privilege uh, to come to this church. It's, it's hard to believe, it's, it's hard to believe that this is our 20th year. Our 20th year. Yeah, praise God. All up, all up, all up, all up. You know, um, and, and I just, I, all of a sudden I realized, like, uh, I, I'm very close. I, I know your pastors, but one in particular, Dan. Uh, well, just Dan, before anybody knew us, and, and he would not want me to say this, but before anybody knew us, uh, when we came here, you know, when you come to start a mission, you come under a lot of attack. And the attack we came under... So I've only got about a little bit of time, but I'll try to make this short. When we first moved here, we moved here on faith. And so, and we're still on faith, but we moved here on faith. And we had a home in New York, upstate New York. And God told us to come and it wouldn't sell. So we left it behind. We left all our furniture behind. We left all our personal possessions behind. We went into, we came here in this, we couldn't afford, like missionaries, it's funny in America, America is different. Being a missionary in America is different than being a missionary anywhere else because a missionary everywhere else, wherever you go, like if you go to Guatemala, my son-in-law is from Guatemala. You go to Guatemala, everybody's poor in Guatemala. So you're a poor missionary, everybody's a poor missionary. So you all kind of hang out. It's cool. In America, you go, if you're in Africa, you go into countries in Africa, you, you go to uh, uh, Uganda, or you go to uh, uh, Uzbekistan up in the eastern part of the, uh, part of the uh, world, wherever you go, everybody's poor, right, compared to America. You're a missionary in America, not everybody's poor. We live in a country where everybody, we strive to be successful. So, but when you're a missionary, you're still poor. It's just, you're just an American missionary. So, which is kind of weird. So we left everything to come here. We said, well, God, if you want to sell the house, you sell the house. We don't need the possessions. We didn't even own a nice car. We, we, <laughs> I got this car. Somebody, it's the only car that made my wife cry. It's the only car that made my wife cry. We were leaving to be a missionary, left everything behind. We only had a little car. We needed something like a van or something. And a mission director up in Albany is a friend of mine. He gave me a 1986 Ford Crown Victoria station wagon with oxidized paint. It leaned back. It had big black tires. It's the only car that, God love my wife. I mean, my wife, she's a strong woman to come and do this what we've done. So we left. We came. It got me pulled over in Jamestown because I didn't belong. They saw that. They saw the, my tip, my, my license plate light. One of my lights was out. And he pulled me over. Yep. That's what he did. And, um, but so we came under, so we came, we didn't have any place to live. When we came here, we didn't have any place to live. We, we literally had a church that said you can stay in our youth cabin. And we got there. And once we got there, we only had like three months to find a mission building, to find a place to live. I had three kids. My wife was pregnant with our fourth. And so we're under a lot of pressure, right? You know, uh, but you learn you're not really under pressure because you're only under pressure if you want to be God instead of listening to God, right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. And, and none of this is written down, so I guess we're going somewhere else. And um, so somebody needs to hear this. So, so 
we, we go and we find this house, and at the last minute we find this house, it turned out to be a sublet that we didn't know about. Whole thing gets ugly. Long short, the guy that ended up subletted kept my money, didn't give it to the landlord that owned the property. All of a sudden, I'm getting sued to get evicted. <laughs> my wife's pregnant. We've been here like 90 days. Oh, praise God for mission life. <laughs> And out of the blue, and I don't even remember how it happened, but somehow, somehow, and I don't mean to embarrass you, Dan, but it's important to me. Somehow, somehow, I got Dan's phone number, and somebody told me he was a lawyer. And I knew nobody. You have to understand, when you come to be a missionary, you don't know, you don't know anybody. You've got to imagine, even if it's America, you walk into a say, I couldn't even find this place on a map. Back in the day, 1999, there was no Googling. If you said to somebody, I want to Google something, they probably thought you were a little weird. Right? So you look on a map, honestly, look at the map. You fold out the Ram McNally, right? This looks like it's part of Cape Cod. It does. You can't find Rhode Island. So we're here. We don't know anybody. We don't know anybody. We're being sued. My wife's pregnant. We don't have any money. We came here with no money. We, our, the mission had $4,200 in its business account. That's all we had. We had no place to live. We had no money. We had no home. The only home we found was one that after a couple of months that we were getting letters to be evicted because there's all sorts of nonsense going on, that all I did was pay my rent. That's all I did. My wife's looking at me. She goes, what, what is going on? And I said, God's going to be faithful. God's going to be faithful. I said, the devil hates us. I said, I said, the devil hates us. And listen, let me tell you something. When you're in ministry, and I know your church, I know the kind of ministries you do here. I know the things you support. Don't, don't be deceived. The, the devil hates you. Okay, and don't be deceived. The Bible says that, that the devil's the power of the prince of this air. And the Bible says that we wrestle not against uh, uh, people and places, but darkness and principles of high principalities. Okay, so if you're doing anything for Jesus Christ, it's kind of like a litmus test, by the way. Like, if you're not under a lot of attack, you might want to check what you're doing. Amen. I'm just saying. It, it's not supposed to be easy. I'm not being smart. <laughs> I, it is easy from the standpoint, like, I, I've, been a, I've been a missionary for a total of, like, 30 years. I'm old. <laughs> 30 years. Like, I want to say, oh, I'm young. I'm young in spirit. I feel about 30 in my, in my flesh or in my spirit, in my bones. I feel about 60. You know, but what I've learned is, is it's a litmus test. If you're really about Jesus Christ, if you're really about what's going on, you should be having a lot of stuff thrown at you. You, you really should. It shouldn't be a cakewalk. The end result's a cakewalk. The ending's always good because the Bible says that God uses good and bad for good for those that love him. So we don't have to worry about the end result, but you should expect, you should expect it to be hard. That you, from a physical standpoint, not from a spiritual standpoint. I've learned as a missionary, spiritual standpoint, nothing can touch me. Amen. Nothing can touch me. Nothing can touch me. Nothing can touch me. The only time something can touch me is if my God wants me to be touched. I don't have to worry about anything. People can threaten me. Happens. People can try to hurt me at the mission. Happens. We're not working with the highest, greatest society, so to speak, in where we are. But nothing can touch me. Nothing can hurt me. Nothing can damage me. Nothing can finish me off because there is no finishing for me because I'm born again, right? Right? So, but, so all this coming back to my buddy Dan. Poor Dan sitting there going, geez, I'll lose, Sean. What are you doing? But, but the truth of it is, out of nowhere, this is, this is critical now. This is critical. 
not here for 90 days. My wife's going to have our fourth child. We've left everything behind. And now we're being threatened with no place to live. And we really, we, we, we were like, whoa. And somehow I got Dan's number and I called him. And he not only took care of me, he made sure we were victorious. Amen. We were safe. And I've never forgotten that, Dan. Amen. Never have I forgotten that. Okay? And you'd never know it by, you'd never know about, by, by him because he's the, he's the nicest guy in the world and humblest guy in the world. But So you, my relationship with your church is a little more special. And I know your other pastors and I know people here. So I, I, I just want you to know that you're a special place. You mean a lot to us. You mean a lot to me personally. You mean a lot to uh, the mission personally. You're down on Saturdays once a month, right? I see the team come in. You bring a whole production. I see guitars, drums, God knows. I'm waiting for the bus, the tour bus. You know, I'm waiting for the tour bus. And I don't say that as a joke. I love it. I love it because what that says to me is you're serious about ministry. You're serious about ministry. What I love about here when I see you come down to the mission and people have their roles and people know what they're doing and it's the real deal because you take what you're doing seriously not to the mission but on to Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's really the mark of a great church. i got to be honest with you. It's the mark of a great church. And, and I have no idea how long I've started. You, Mike, you're going to have to keep me on point. If I go too long, just let me know. Well, I want to be respectful. I, I do. I really do. So here's the gig. I'm going to get into this stuff. I, I talked with your pastors, and, and we've been here for 20 years. And for the last three to four years, it's been very, very difficult. The need, the expense of running the mission's gone this way. Donations have kind of stayed this way. And we've cut back as far as we can. We, we've, we've taken, uh, I love the phrase when you hear businesses, we've taken it in-house. Let, let me explain to you what that means. When you take something in-house, what you're basically saying is we couldn't afford to have them do it anymore, so we shifted the burden on the people we had and we hired nobody else to do it. That's the mission. So we've taken all our fundraising in-house. We've taken all our development in-house. We've taken all our mailings in-house because it saves money, saves money, saves money. We've uh, done everything we can to make us the most efficient we can. We're to the point, even with our trash, that we take and recycle our own boxes and take them up because you have to pay for recycling. We've changed all our light bulbs to energy-efficient light bulbs. We've, we've done everything we can do and everything we can do. But the problem is, is expenses keep going up. There is nobody, you ask any businessman, most businessmen and businesswomen will tell you, one of the last states they would pick to start a business is Little Rody. <laughs> it's just the way it is, right? It's a, my buddy Nick and I were talking. Nick's a businessman. He's going to talk in just a minute. Uh, Nick said, somebody drove by very slowly. They, that we, we were trying to get here. And you ever get behind somebody slow? I, I lose my Christianity. I'm not good. I just, I, I don't yell and scream, but I make all sorts of horrible comments about their driving ability. I figure it's like, you know, if I was a Catholic, that would be like a venal sin, not a corporate sin, right? You know, so we, we're stuck behind a guy from Delaware and he's driving slow and all the time, I can't, I got to get here. And that guy's doing 61 and a 65, right? I said, Delaware, who goes to Delaware? Nick's a business guy. He goes, well, if you're going to start a business, you go to Delaware. It's the best place to start a business. There's no business taxes here. I'm like, Nick, I don't care, bro. I got to get to this church. But Rhode Island, nobody says that about Rhode Island. So our business expenses are going up. Every time we make a cut, fees and and taxes out of the state payroll are hitting us. Everywhere we go, our insurance is going up. Just our liability insurance, just to make sure if somebody trips and falls that we can't be sued. 
that, that we, we're safe. We're close to $3,000 a month just for that because there's only one or two insurance companies in the nation that will write for us. Payroll taxes keep drive, driving us up. TDI keeps driving up. Everything keeps health insurance keeps driving up. And we haven't cut services. And what I mean by that is, is so we refuse to cut services. We refuse to stop doing what we do. You know, the scripture that I had was looking in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we all know it. It's, it's the parable of, of uh, uh, the, the, uh, um, um, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We all know the story of the Good Samaritan. But what was important to me was the beginning of it before it happened. The beginning, and the reason why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan was this. It says that in Luke 20, 10, 25, it says there was a certain lawyer, and me not being a Bible scholar, when I used to realize, read that, I thought there were people like Dan in the Bible. When I read there was a certain lawyer, I thought, oh, they had Dan's in the Bible. But that's not what it meant. Okay, I've learned in 30 years that it meant it was somebody that was an expert in the Mosaic law. So when you see the word lawyer in the New Testament, it means somebody that's an expert in the Mosaic law. And it says that he, this expert in the Mosaic law, was around Jesus, the people. And it says that he says that he wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to test him. And, and, and it says, he says, teacher, he goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? He says, so, you know, like you can test Jesus, like he doesn't know your heart, but we'll, we'll move on with it. And it says, it says, Jesus replied, he says, well, what does it say? What does it say in the law? You're the expert. You tell me. And, and he goes, well, he goes, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, which, which is interesting because we all know that scripture, but the scripture after it is what I really love. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. He says, do this habitually. Do this habitually. Do this habitually and you will live. Do this habitually and you will live. Habitually, we all know, means without ceasing all the time. It's not at the exception. It's not the rule of the exception. It's the norm. And one of the other things, it's funny that Jesus says this. He says, when you do these good things, later on in the Bible, Paul writes, he says, when you do these good things, because we always, I don't know about you, I love an attaboy. I'm a fan of an attaboy. Man, nothing in my flesh if somebody says, hey man, good job. Don't that make you feel good? I mean, we can admit it. It's all right. We're Christians. It's, I know we're supposed to be humble, but let's be real. All right? Don't you love it? It's somebody, you know, especially my wife. My wife's my biggest fan. I love my wife. My wife says, man, I'm proud of you. Boy, I could walk through walls. <laughs> right? My wife, my wife greenlights me. My wife's my best friend. My wife is my go-to. There is nobody better in this. There's nobody better than my wife. Now, hopefully all you husbands feel the same way about your wives, and we can brawl about it in the parking lot afterwards. <laughs> but... To me, nobody is better than my wife. So if my wife is happy with me, my wife is proud of me. If my wife says, man, I'm so thankful you did. Yeah, yeah, baby. But in the spirit, in my spirit, man, in my inner spirit that's connected with the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says the only thing I've done is what? My reasonable duty. My reasonable duty. And a lot of times you don't understand it, but you come back here, somebody's asked and say, what do I have to do in inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors the same way. Habitually, I'm looking for an attaboy there. I want an attaboy. God goes, no, you don't get no attaboy. That's your reasonable duty. That's your reasonable duty, right? So I looked at that and I said, my God, where do you do that today? Because he tells this story of the Good Samaritan, right? It's a nasty story. It's a risky story. It's a place where you and I don't want to go on normally because when he tells this story, he talks about this guy's on the highway. And that highway is where all the thieves 
And where all the people are going to hurt you, most people in those days, it wasn't like 95. I came down 95. I stopped at Dunkin' Donuts. I got a, I got a bagel this morning. There were no Dunkin' Donuts on the highways at Jesus' time. It wasn't lit up. There were no state, I had a state trooper follow me today. That's always fun. <laughs> Even though you're obeying the law, I don't know about you, I see that grayish color car with the whip antennas, and I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'll tap the brake anyhow, just to look like I'm being conscientious. I'm, <laughs> you know, well, I'm saying there's none of that. There's no state troopers on the highway back there, right? So it was dangerous. Most people of any value, of any wealth, took their own private troops or security guards with them to get to wherever they were going on the highway. And we know the story. The guy uh, falls upon thieves. They beat the tar at them. They strip them naked. They take everything they have, lay them by the side of the road. My point is, and we can read the rest of it, we know how the two people pass them by, the righteous people pass them by, and the Samaritan, who was um, really considered bad people, took care of them and stuff like that. But, but the key to it was, was, at the end of that story, Jesus says something interesting. He says this. He says, at the end he gets done, he goes, he says to the expert, he goes, of those three, he says, who do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers? And what's the expert going to say? Of course, the third one, right? And Jesus says this, he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, after he says, yeah, the one that showed compassion, he goes, go and constantly do the same. Go and, so you see, the first part of the law is habitually, meaning without any. Jesus goes, you're right, go do it constantly. So the reason why I pulled the scripture, I thought to myself, the type of people that were down on the highways, because I did the research. And it's interesting, later on in one of the scriptures, you read about how the king's going to have a feast. He goes to call the people in. One guy goes, hey, I just got married. Another guy goes, hey, I just got some land. Another guy goes, hey, I, got, I just got some cattle. And it says that, it actually says the king's angry. That's denoted towards the Jewish nation for the rejection of the Messiah. It says he's angry. He says to his servants, go out to the um, streets and the neighborhoods, bring everybody in. They bring them all in. He says, we still got room. He goes, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them. Again, I find these words interesting. Habitually, constantly, compel and bring them to the table. And when you talk about the hedges, so we know what the highway is, right? We know the highway is what we just saw here. Hedges, interestingly, I never knew what the hedges were because <laughs> I'm just not a Bible scholar. I, I always thought I have like evergreens around my house. <laughs> so I lost stuff I didn't understand. So I'm thinking, why would Jesus send people to the evergreens? It just doesn't, <laughs> you know, seriously, I didn't know. I, and so I did the research. Interesting story. The hedges were prickly pear cactus that they used, that they layered roughly from here to about this speaker. And they have long spikes on them and they interlock them and they were used to keep cattle and unwanted things out of the vineyards and the, agri the farming areas, the vegetables, olive branch, olive trees, things like that. And what's interesting is, is the poorest of the poor tended those hedges and lived inside of them. The poorest of the poor tended those hedges and lived inside of them. So what that means is, and the word he uses is compel. It would have been nice if he would have said, go and tell them. Tell, compel. Sometimes I think, well, maybe Jesus got the wrong C instead of T. You know, because tell would be easy, right? Tell would be, I could stand in front of the hedges, right? I could stand in the front of the hedges and say, hey, 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 hey. My king's having dinner. He wants you to come. 
Come on. Okay, you're not going to go? Go back to the king. Did you do it? Yeah, I told them. I'm fine. Compel, out of the Webster's Dictionary, means to use everything you have to drag somebody out of something that they shouldn't be in. See, so if I have to compel them, guess what I can't do? I can't stand outside of the hedges. I got to go into the cactus. Guess what happens when you go into the cactus? You're going to get bloody. Things of value are going to get ripped. And it's all just our reasonable duty. And so you say, gee, Sean, you're, you're telling about our name for money. Why are you talking about that? Because the mission is where the poorest of the poor are. The mission is where people that will never walk into this church are. Okay? I've got a woman that we minister to. We saw her this morning. What's her name, Nick? Gina. This, yesterday, she was in slippers, pajamas, and a house coat. Easter, she sat on a chair and ate a tree branch. We find her screaming and yelling in front of the building. She was getting a drink today. And we pray for her and we preach. She came naked with just a small bed sheet around her. But where'd she come? The mission. We had a man, Bruce, died Thursday night? Wednesday night. Bruce went through our program. Bruce could never get sober. Bruce was a severe alcoholic. I talked to Bruce. We knew he was sick. He went through our program. He was a resident assistant with us. And Bruce said two things to me. He said, Sean, he said, I never thought I'd die sober, and I never thought I'd know Jesus Christ. Bruce came to the mission. I had Wednesday afternoon, I'm walking through the parking lot, an old car pulls up. There's two Muslim women in the car. How'd I know they were Muslim? The whole thing. You know, I don't know all the technical terms, but the head covering, the flowing robes, right? Excuse me, sir. Can we get food here today? And the first thought, and, and I thought, and I was fine with it, and I said, well, we only do food. We, we, we do every Friday, we do families. Right now, we're doing between 450 and 500 families a week. A week. Get 75 pounds of food from the mission in partnership with churches and community groups that we distribute to. And it was Wednesday. I said, well, we do it Friday. I said, is this an emergency? And she goes, yes. She goes, we couldn't afford our power, so they turned the electric off. She said, and we got it paid, but all the food in the refrigerator went bad. I said, well, do you have any kids? Yes, we have five children. My son-in-law, Luis, heads up our community food distribution, and he just happened to be coming out of the parking lot. God doesn't do coincidences, by the way. You know, it's just kind of, I actually look like I know what I'm doing at the mission. You know, oh, Louise, come here. <laughs> you know, I look that good. God makes me look that good. And so I said to Louise, take care of them. And she gets out of the car, and, and, and I looked at her, and I said, you're Muslim. She said, yes. And, 
it was okay. That wasn't a time where I was going to say, do you know where you're going when you die? Do you, do you know if you die without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell? <laughs> no, that wasn't the time. The time will come. But I was able to look at her and I said, you know we're Christian here. She goes, yeah. I says, isn't it nice that you can feel safe coming as a Muslim to a Christian place and getting taken care of? She goes, you guys are such a blessing to the community. I had a call from a very liberal church down in down, down Providence. We're not a liberal mission. If you've been down, you kind of know if you hear me preach it. I'm not really a liberal guy here. I'm pretty much the Bible. So people used to say, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles that. I believe that's a lie. It doesn't matter if I believe what the Bible says or not. It's still settled, right? Amen. Like God doesn't say, geez, I hope Sean believes it because then I can settle it. <laughs> you know, if that's your God, I got news for you. Mine's stronger than yours. Um, Amen, God. Right? <laughs> but... So there's a lot of liberals. I don't know if you know this. I know a lot of the things I'm saying is shocking. There's a lot of liberal churches in Rhode Island. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it's true. But we still work with them. We'll work with anybody as long as you don't try to change who we are. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the number one thing we do day and night, 365 days a year. If you want to come, you can be a Muslim. You can be an atheist. You can be a Buddhist. You can be a liberal church. You can be anything you want. You can come on our property. You can have our services. We will give it to you freely. We don't charge anything. But don't ask us not to tell you about Jesus Christ because it is what we do more than anything else. Amen. It's the truth. So this guy calls me, nice guy, and they have a 19-year-old girl that's not, they don't know what to do with her, because where she is, she's about to get caught up in human trafficking. Real big issue down where we are right now. We've saved a number of women from human trafficking out of, our, out of where we are in the West End. My wife and I took in a Chinese girl for two years that was going to be caught up with human trafficking. That was a hoot. No English, no Chinese. I ate food that will curl your toes. It, 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 it took away my thought of what Chinese really is once I ate chicken feet. And anywho, but, and he sent me a text. And the text that he sent me, real quick, he said this. He said, Sean, I want to thank you and Gail. Gail's one of our women staff members that takes care of the women. For letting Moxie stay the night last night. In many ways, in many ways, you may have saved her life by giving her a safe place to sleep. She's vulnerable and young and not safe where she was staying. I was scrambling to get her into a safe environment. She she felt welcome and safe. See, that's the mission. The mission's Bruce. The mission's the Muslim woman. The mission's the woman that eats a branch and comes to us naked. I have pastors that have nowhere to turn with sisters and sometimes children. Um, 80 to 100 people nightly in our chapel service hear the gospel. We have no idea how many people have gotten saved. We have 75 to 100 men and women every night freely having shelter. The, the lesbian, gay, I always get this, lesbian, you know, they say LGBT, and I'm like, what? <laughs> lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, homeless, communi- homeless in our community feel safest at the mission. They come and stay with us all the time. Because we don't care who you are, because Jesus didn't give a rat's backside who anybody was. Amen. He didn't care. He didn't care who anybody was. He didn't care what you did. He didn't care how you did it. He didn't care who you did it with. The only thing Jesus cared about was the sick could be saved. The sick could be healed. That's the rescue mission. We're the only 
shelter in Rhode Island now that you can walk in off the street and get shelter from. Every other shelter is incorporated in a system that unless you go into the system, they, they give you a caseworker, da-da-da-da-da, they'll get you shelter. We're the only place you can be on the street in the middle of the day and have nowhere to go. Walk into the mission, no ID, we don't care. Come on in, we'll take you. We'll take you. It's expensive. It's expensive. It costs $2,400 a day to run the mission. We're short close to a quarter million dollars. We just are. We just are. And so our thought was, if we could get 100 churches, businesses, and individuals to take one day, to take one day, to take $2,400, and say, that's the best investment that I could make for Christ in the Rhode Island area. And don't get me wrong, there's other worthwhile ministries. I, I take no claim that we're better than anybody else. I'm not saying that, but we're where the highway and the hedges are. You've been down. You know, well, Pastor Mike, one of the most exciting things him and Rob say is when they're down there, it's afterwards, he always say to me, so many people came for prayer. So many people came for prayer. That's a dying breed today in the church. So we need your help. We need you to consider taking that day. To, to, and your church supports us. I'm thankful for your church support. But we need help because we're down to a point that if we don't figure this out, something's got to go. I don't know if it'll be our women's house. I don't know if it'll be something where we're to a point where we're compressed that we need to make this happen so we can keep all of our services running. It, it, it's, it's not for vacation time. It's not to buy a new van. Believe me, we need... <laughs> it's not even, we're, we're, we don't want to talk about the van. Um, but... That's not what it's for. It's to make sure that the Genas and the Bruces and the Muslims and the gay community and the drug addict and the alcoholic and the prostitute and the poor single mom and the disenfranchised know that the light's on and the door's open. And we need your help. We do. We need your help. It's the first time I've, God said to me, I've never done this. I've never said to people, we need your help like this. I've just kind of figured, well, God, whatever. And God said, you have not because you asked not. He said, how dare you? God talks to me like this. <laughs> Usually in the shower for some reason, which I find interesting. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He said, how dare you not give the opportunity to your brothers and sisters to be a blessing to the poor? He said, who do you think you are? Then I had to go and repent. So I'm going to finish. I'm going to ask Nick just to give just a um, short personal testimony. And then after that, I'll, I'll turn it back over to Mike. We have a table out there. If you want to get on our newsletter, if you want to know what's going on, if you're not on our newsletter, sign up. If you need prayer, we have prayer request cards. We teach everybody down at the mission to pray. We pray with people all the time. Get on board. If you want to get involved more, get on board. Uh, but, but prayerfully consider a generous donation today because we've got 30, we've got 30 of the 100 done. So we're not halfway home yet. But I believe by the end of today, it'll be 31. Amen. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak and, and God bless you. And, and Nick, come on up and then uh, Mike, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you guys. God bless you.
morning, church. Um, as, I, as I was sitting there listening to Sean, I was thinking about a hundred times. Um, and sometimes I, I, I try to not change what I say, but either shorten it or, or lengthen it, trying to depend on, on where I'm at. Um, and then he brought up, brought up Bruce. So I just want to touch on that and share a little bit about Bruce, because it's an honor for me to share Bruce's testimony. Um, I'll kind of cover my testimony, and it's a little bit, and it's very simple. I was a mess, and then Jesus saved my life. Now, talking about Bruce, Bruce came to the mission two years ago, and he was an alcoholic for 40 years. He had never met Jesus. He had nowhere to go. His family had disowned him. He was 55 years old. That's 55 years that he's lived on this earth, and most of it was drinking. He started drinking when he was a child. And Bruce was bitter. He was scared. And I was 25 years, 20 years younger than Bruce. And, uh, and the first thing he said to me was how great it was that Sean and, and Ma Beth let him into this program at the mission. And Bruce was scared, and he'd go to his AA meetings and, and just not know what he was doing with his life. And we, we'd have these conversations at night, because someone who's drank for 40 years usually has a lot of experience about life, whether it's good or it's bad. Um, and just last week, the day he passed away, I went to go visit him uh, with another gentleman from the mission. And he told me he didn't know how long he had to live. He was at a rehabilitation center because he had just got out of the hospital. So before he came back to the mission, he had to spend a week there just to get a, a, a little bit healthier. And uh, he was telling me how, how grateful he was that, that, he, that, that, the, that the Lord had saved him. And, and it's such a powerful thing to know that someone was able to come to the mission and have the Lord in their life when they moved on. There was nothing, you know, I've been at the mission for two years, and there was nothing more powerful for me at that moment than seeing him and knowing that he moved on to a better place and with people who loved him around him. It was the most just, it just shows how good God is, how great God is that he has given us us this opportunity, and, and a lot of times when, when we speak at churches, you know, I, I, I'll, go, I'll go and I'll, I'll think of, um, you know, I'll talk about my life before coming to the mission, and it is no lie that my life was a mess before I came to the mission, and it's people like you that God has put in place to make this possible. It's the volunteers. I see a lot of you. I work at the mission now, and I see a lot of people in here who volunteer once a month. And it's the volunteers the, uh, supporting us financially that is just such an amazing thing, and it's given me an opportunity that I thought I was never, ever going to be able to have. And I, and I just want to wrap up with that, and I want to thank you guys so much for giving people like me an opportunity to, to experience this, to come to Christ. Because I, I never, 
my whole life, I, I, I never even opened a Bible until I st- stepped in the mission and met with Sean and Pastor Steve. I, I didn't even know who Jesus was. So I can't say thank you en- enough for giving me and the Bruces and every other male or female who've walked through those doors the opportunity to make that change in our life and, and let us experience the love of God. So I will pass it back to Sean. I'll pass it back to Pastor Mike. You know, if you, uh, and last year was, uh, I think, the first time I went to the banquet that uh, they put on as a fundraiser. And when you go to their banquet, and I want to encourage people to go, because when you go to their banquet, they have testimony after testimony after testimony of people get up there, and they talk about your kitchen table, and sitting at the kitchen table and accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and their whole life changing after that. He had people giving testimonies that now worked for the federal government who were homeless on the streets who accepted Jesus Christ, and now they're volunteering back at the mission. You know, Sean's right about us being excited in the pastors because we have an opportunity to go up there and we share the gospel. And, and listen, we ask for hands to be raised. And do we really know whose hearts change? No, but that's not my job. My job is to share the truth. The pastor's job is to share the truth, to stay in the word of God and watch what the Holy Spirit does with people. So we know that at least 80 people have accepted Jesus Christ up there. And that has been a blessing because God is using us to go up there on that Saturday with the worship team, with brothers and sisters in Christ, with the pastors in the word of God and to stand in it. And if that mission didn't exist, that opportunity wouldn't exist. So it's a blessing. If you haven't been part of that with us, become part of that with us. And God knows what we'll do together in the future. Big things, amen. So I'm going to ask uh, the usher, is there one or two? The ushers, 